In today's very confusing world, how can believers carry on living in sound doctrine while anticipating the second coming of Jesus? We've got to stay on track as never before because end-time deception is trying to overtake believers from every direction. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Today I want to share a letter that I received in response to a recent video about the importance of maintaining sound doctrine. And I believe this letter will resonate with many believers. Dear Christine, I want to thank you for your video messages, which I enjoy very much. I learn a lot from them too, and I recommend them to others and forward them to friends. That's good, and I hope you also share our videos with your friends. Your latest message is so important, so timely, and full of balance that was very encouraging. So many Christians who have discovered their Hebrew roots have become so full of head knowledge, but their love for other Christians has grown cold as they're trying to become more zealous than Saul of Tarsus. They seem to be under a spell controlled by a religious spirit, always criticizing pastors and congregations, and they are unable to fit into any group. One lady I know canceled Christmas. She decided to celebrate Hanukkah instead of Christmas Day. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with celebrating or honoring Hanukkah because it is the Feast of Dedication mentioned in John chapter 10. But anyway, back to the letter. She said, that woman's adult children and grandchildren came to visit bringing her presents, but there were no presents for them and there was no celebration atmosphere. Isn't this sad? Her relatives who perhaps didn't have any revelation about the Hebrew Roots movement came visiting expecting a day of mutual family love and joy but instead they were spurned and probably preached at. Well, they became angry and what could have been a beautiful family day turned into a nightmare with arguments and bad feelings. Sensitivity, love, and grace went out the window. Others I know have become so legalistic and judgmental that they ended up leaving their congregations and now they feel they can't fit in anywhere. They've become isolated as they refuse to go to a service on Sunday, which the Bible calls the Lord's Day. And with no alternatives nearby, especially on a Saturday as they would prefer, these people have isolated themselves and have not received Holy Communion for a long time. All these things make me sad. In my experience, there's an emphasis on head knowledge and very little room for love, mercy, and grace in a lot of these Hebrew roots groups. I've also been very concerned that there is so little concern for the sick and for those who are suffering, and there's no prayer for healing or deliverance in those meetings. So she said, and I like this, 
My husband and I have learned so many interesting, deep truths and insights from the Hebrew Roots movement, but it's a tragedy to see what's happening now in some corners. Well, I appreciate the balance that's expressed in this letter, and it's good that my viewer friend ended her letter acknowledging how much she has actually benefited from the Hebrew Roots movement. One of the joys of my life has been to learn deep insights from our Jewish patriarchs and friends. For example, I glean a lot of insights from reading commentaries on the weekly Torah portion. Nevertheless, it still takes a mature, well-grounded believer to follow the Hebrew Roots Movement without maintaining our freedom in the gospel. I posted this letter on Facebook and it elicited a lot of comments. One person commented, uh, thanking me for sharing the letter and saying it was so true and what was said needed to be said because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the commenter added, we're so very blessed to have your balanced teachings available 24-7 on the internet. Well, I was certainly encouraged by that comment. And another person commented that there's a lot to be learned from Hebrew roots that can benefit our knowledge as a Christian, but it's important not to be drawn away into Judaism. That person went on to say that a friend of their family has lost contact with their father because he has left the Christian faith to become Jewish. He doesn't want anything to do with his family anymore because they have remained Christians. She got Terrible about it, and her husband said that he doesn't understand why a Christian would choose to leave freedom in Jesus to deliberately put themselves back under the law. And believe me, we've seen a lot of lost joy when people go overboard. Another person commented on Facebook that she's also noticed this and continually tries to direct these people in the New Testament to the books of Galatians, Hebrews, and Romans. However, some are even rejecting Pauline doctrine. You see, a great deceit has fallen on those who are not well grounded in Scripture. And still another person wrote that some of these believers have engaged in name-calling and have become so abusive that she had to remove herself from many of the Hebrew Roots social media pages. In the meantime, we in our ministry are endeavoring to continue prayer ministry along the lines of the teachings of Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory, who lived and ministered in Jerusalem and around the world. Lance discussed matters of Hebrew Roots from time to time, but he never went overboard. He maintained a biblical balance. It's important to remember that Lance was a Jewish believer in Jesus, and he understood the Hebrew roots of our faith more than most believers. But he never veered off too deep into that movement. If any of us get too sidetracked, we will miss preaching the simplicity of the gospel. As an international speaker, author, and intercessor, Lance Lambert was also a prolific writer. And among some of his best-known books are Battle for Israel and The Uniqueness of Israel. We first met Lance in Richmond, Virginia, where I grew up and where he used to preach in the summertime in conferences held at the University of Richmond. 
His book, Battle for Israel, was published in 1976 and described many miracles of Israel's wars up to that time, including the Yom Kippur War of 1973. The contents of his book, Battle for Israel, made a great impact on my early ministry. Lance became a mentor and advisor of our ministry, and among his supporters were my mother's prayer group in Richmond, Virginia, although Lance was British and ran a prayer house in Richmond, England, before he immigrated to Israel. Well, Lance's prayer ministry was based upon Isaiah 56, 7, a verse which declares, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. For many years, he addressed our Jerusalem prayer convocations during Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, as well as our Watchmen and Women on the Walls New Year convocations. When Lance spoke at one of our conferences in 2005, a trustee of our ministry took notes from his message. At that time, Lance gave us seven essentials in order to stay on track. And today I want to share those seven essentials for every believer that Lance Lambert outlined in his memorable message. Essentials which certainly bear reviewing and repeating from time to time. Number one, we must maintain absolute faithfulness to the word of God, not only hearing but doing it. This falls in line with one of the mandates of our ministry from Daniel 11.32, which declares that the people who know their God and presumably know his word will be strong and take action doing exploits. When Lance advocated absolute faithfulness to the word of God, he certainly meant knowing both testaments, not just the Hebrew scriptures, but also the new covenant. We must rightly handle this word of God knowing the full tenor of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Otherwise, we can be deceived. Meanwhile, it's endlessly fascinating to me how archaeology continues to verify the word of God in Israel, seemingly on a daily basis, with many new discoveries. The latest news is that the quarry that may have been the source of the second temple stones has been uncovered in Jerusalem, Archaeologists say the find provides clear demonstration of various phases of stone preparation and can help Israelis recreate and test ancient methods described in biblical sources because some of the quarried stones were left in situ, presenting a golden opportunity to copy ancient technologies, possibly for a new third temple. Number two on Lance Lambert's Essentials for Every Believer we must maintain full and complete devotion to the Lord Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. The Lord must have preeminence in all things. Lance often spoke of the preeminence of the Lord, and thankfully the preeminence of Jesus was a doctrine firmly rooted in his spirit. When Lance preached on Colossians chapter 1, he could do justice to those sublime verses in the King James Bible concerning the supremacy of Messiah, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, if we're not careful, the Lord can sometimes become marginalized in our lives, but the Lord should always come first place and be center stage. We can learn from a story about the famous artist Leonardo da Vinci who is perhaps best known for one of the world's most recognizable paintings, 
The Last Supper, which is a mural on a wall at a convent refectory in Milan, Italy. Leonardo asked a friend to critique his masterpiece, and I learned something I hadn't noticed in the painting before. There's no cup on the table. This is reportedly because of an observation made by Leonardo's friend. The friend told him the most striking thing about the mural was the beautiful cup, some sort of resplendent holy grail on the table. Well, that comment reportedly caused Leonardo to pick up his brush and wipe out the resplendent cup because he said, nothing in my painting should attract more attention than the master's face. Amen. Let the Lord have preeminence in all things. Number three on Lance Lambert's list of essentials for believers, we must know the Holy Spirit, his person, his work, his indwelling, his anointing. It's the Holy Spirit's work to constantly bear witness to the world concerning Messiah and the atonement he accomplished for every sinner. However, the Holy Spirit bears witness mainly through the testimony of believers. We testify to the saving power and work of Messiah in our individual lives. We must have a thorough grasp of the facts about the Holy Spirit, that he regenerates the believer and the Spirit actually comes to comfort and to indwell believers. Every genuine believer, no matter how weak and imperfect we may be, nevertheless is privileged in this dispensation with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 declares, no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God who seals believers with the assurance of our salvation. And our filling with the Spirit is not confined to just one experience. There is one baptism, but many infillings with the Spirit. The experience of the apostles in the New Testament bears witness to the fact that they were repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. Whenever a new emergency arose, they sought a fresh infilling of the Spirit. We also must know that the Holy Spirit empowers believers for life and service in the field of work that we're divinely called to. You see, the Holy Spirit is our constant guide. He's our counselor. And as we walk in the Spirit, He leads us in every detail of our lives. The Word of the Lord declares that the steps and the stops of a good person are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in our way. Number four on Lance Lambert's list of essentials for believers, we must not fail to preach the gospel. Indeed, the great commission of Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples is sometimes the great omission in churches and fellowships, but this should never be. We can't get so sidetracked into gold mining in the Bible that we fail to preach the simplicity of the gospel. And the Hebrew Roots Movement definitely concentrates on gold mining in the Bible. So let's stay balanced both to study and to share this word. Number five, we must maintain the spirit of genuine repentance within ourselves, our churches, and our nations. In the Gospel of Luke, we're commanded to preach repentance in his name beginning in Jerusalem so that hearts can return to God 
and be reconciled to God. Repentance in the Bible is likened to coming home from a far country of estrangement and the seeking anew of the Father's face and the Father's favor. It means to turn around and to pursue moral excellency, refusing to tolerate evil. We are divinely called to repentance because the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And in Acts 17.30, God commands that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter preached in the open air, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus, the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise belongs to you and your children and to all who are far off. That's us. That's you and me and to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And then Peter urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Amen. Number six on Lance's list of seven essentials. As watchmen on the walls, we must remain true and prayerful in intercession. Intercession for Israel, the Middle East, and our nations was a priority for Lance Lambert, and it's certainly an ongoing priority in our ministry. Many years ago, it was prophesied to me that God wanted to grant me a ministry, but that much intercession should proceed it. I believe that all genuine works of God are prepared through intercessory prayer. In fact, the greater the ministry, the greater the preparation. And number seven on Lance's list of essentials for believers, there's no substitute for the fire of God. We need the genuine fire of God, not demonstrations in the flesh. Lukewarmness is the opposite of the fire of God. We have to be sure that we're maintaining the fire of God in our lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to stir up the gifts of God within us. There are many Bible messages on the subject of the fire of God and my favorite being the showdown between the fiery prophet Elijah and the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The prophet Elijah's cry for fire is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. The God of Israel himself had inspired Elijah's cry for fire as a means of turning the hearts of the people back to himself. And it's time again to cry for genuine fire from heaven upon the spiritually lukewarm church. In Elijah's day, the people were not sure who God was. Was the Holy One, the God of Israel, or the pagan weather God named Baal? People today are still confusing the one and only God of Israel with the gods of other religions, as if all these gods are somehow rolled into one. But there is only one God. His name is Abba, and Yeshua is his messenger son. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah challenged the lukewarm, saying, How long are you going to halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people were trying to combine worship. They bowed before Israel's God in secret, but publicly they did homage to Baal in assemblies commanded by the king's court. 
The symbol of the God of Israel was fire, and Baal was the heathen God of fire. So the prophets of Baal contended that he was God, and Elijah, the solitary prophet of the real God, declared that Yehovah was the one and only true God. The image of Baal was a bull. This animal was regarded in the ancient world as the emblem of fire due to its red color. Both the God of Israel and Baal could not be served. So Elijah won the contest with a big display of fire falling from heaven on a water-soaked sacrifice and altar. And soon, and I'm here to tell you, the world will discover all over again the real identity of God when nations try to invade regathered Israel on the mountains of Israel. And God says in that pending Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, it's going to be a showdown between the nations and the God of Israel. And he is going to rain down fire on the invaders. And God will save Israel in the coming conflict. Well, on Mount Carmel, which is a foreshadowing of all this, Elijah said, the God who answered by fire would prove himself to be the real and true God. The prophets of Baal couldn't work up a single spark. Then Elijah repaired the altar, and at the time of the evening sacrifice, he prayed a prayer that could be a pattern for strong believers. And I love his prayer. He prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. And of course, Israel is another name for Jacob. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. You see, he was not being presumptuous. Elijah was acting at God's word, at God's specific directions. After all, he had no right to expect such a stupendous answer unless God himself had instructed him to propose the audacious test. So Elijah prayed, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Faith can be loud and dramatic, but it never screams in a frenzied manner like the pagan priest of Baal had screamed and danced around the altar, but all in vain. Faith has a calm and confident trust in the Almighty. The fire of the Lord fell from heaven and consumed the burnt sacrifice, consumed the wood and even the stones. The fire licked up the water in the trench because Elijah had drenched everything three times just to make the miracle more obvious. And when all the people saw this miracle by fire, they fell on their faces and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is the God. Oh, my friends, let's cry out to God that He will send His holy fire so that His people's hearts will turn back to Him in this dark hour. And people will know who is God and His anointed, His Messiah. As Lance Lambert said in his seven essentials for believers, there's no substitute for the fire of God. Let's soak our prayers with the water of the word or with the water of our tears until the Lord sends fresh fire. You see, fire is a Bible idiom for zeal and anointing. Now is the time to cry for his fire as Elijah did. John the Baptist the herald of Messiah who came in the spirit and power of Elijah said in Matthew 3, 11, 
that he, John, baptized with water, but Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I remember years ago in one of our gospel meetings, it was turning out slow with a low anointing and one of my Israeli ministry associates said to me urgently in Hebrew, Christine, where is the fire? Where is the fire? Amen. Let's not minister without the fire of God. We have to stir up the anointing and protect the anointing on all of our assemblies. We have to believe God for a holy baptism of the fire of God to burn the sin and dross out of people's lives. Like Elijah, John the Baptist poured water on the outward sacrifice, but people need more than an outward washing. We need an inner cleansing, an inner purging. The Lord Jesus baptizes us with a glorious inward grace of Holy Spirit fire for purity and divine energy. And when we're aglow by the power of the Holy Spirit, we exhibit genuine zeal for God. The Holy Spirit fire within us produces an inner fervor and sets our souls ablaze, melting all icy hardness of heart. Well, during one of our prayer convocations in Jerusalem, many diamonds and gemstones and a new mineral were discovered in Israel at all places, Mount Carmel. And the new gemstone appears to be unique. The mineral was formed perhaps as a result of God's fire falling from heaven on Mount Carmel in the days of Elijah. That's only holy speculation, of course. But the new Carmel Sapphire has been recognized and approved by the International Commission on New Minerals. The Carmel Sapphire is unique because reportedly it hasn't been found anywhere else in the world. And while that news story was calling attention to Mount Carmel, one of our intercessors received a dream in which she saw an open book emblazoned with three words, cry for fire. And that's what we intercessors must keep doing, calling for and believing for the fire of God. The continuation of the Acts chapter 2 Pentecostal flames to continually empower believers in our generation. Amen. I hope this lesson has been a blessing to you. Life is certainly a test. It's certainly a boot camp for eternity. We need these seven essentials that we've discussed today. The Lord said in Revelation 2:23 that it is his special prerogative to search hearts and minds. And he says, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So let us daily live for the Lord and throw ourselves always upon his mercy, thanking him for so great a salvation. You can watch this video again at any time or any of our library of videos at our website, exports.tv, where I'd like to invite you to sign up for our weekly video email, or we can also connect on social media. A reminder also that our Jerusalem channel app is available free to download from your app store. Until next time, be saved from this corrupt generation. Turn to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus, while there is yet a little time. And the Lord bless you and keep you. In the meantime, I'll be seriously contending for the faith and praying always for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha and Shalom. I'm Christine Dark.